I want to do a mental exercise with you. It's a visualization. So if you're in the car, please be sure to keep your eyes on the road while you take this journey with me. I want you to visualize someone you hate. It can be an enemy from the past or someone you hate right now. It can be a bad boss, an awful coworker, someone who made fun of you in school, or a politician that makes your blood boil. It can be anyone, but I need you to see the, their face just for a moment. Now imagine challenging that person to a duel, and not just any duel though, not a duel with swords or pistols or knives. This is a very special duel because your hatred in this imaginary scenario is so hot, so consuming, that you have to be sure that the loser can't walk away from it. You won't be fighting the duel tomorrow, or at dawn, or at high noon, or whatever. In this visualization, you're so mad you're willing to wait a full month to murder this person just to make sure you get the job done right. Now, if you had your eyes closed, I'd like you to open them. If you're still imagining your enemy, you can stop. Take a deep breath. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Let's get our blood pressure under control. Because today, we're talking about grudges. And we're starting with a duel that was so bizarre, so vicious, it could only be fought in hot air balloons. In June of 1808, in the skies over Paris, a duel was being fought between two men. One of the men, Monsieur de Grand Prix, had caught his girlfriend, Mademoiselle Tirevet, with another man. De Grand Prix was so enraged, so jealous, he challenged the other man, Monsieur Le Piquet, to a duel. But this was no ordinary duel. Their anger was too bitter, and their self-importance was too great for ordinary. Common swords or pistols would be beneath them. Instead, the men took to the skies in air balloons, and shot at each other with blunderbusses to hash out their grudge amongst the clouds where all of Paris could see them. It was also half a mile above the earth, so the loser was sure to fall to their death. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Mizur Talaments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Monsieur Joe Anthony, <laughs> whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet and get to the juicy facts. We have had a hell of a time trying to pronounce these French names, so we're making fun of ourselves right now. A little bit. Yeah, it helps the process. <laughs> and we're actually getting worse at it, so bear with us. <laughs> right. We will degrade in our pronunciation yeah, as we if, go. If we're French, we're, we are really trying not to offend you. <laughs> for, for all of our French listeners, right? <laughs> Today we're talking about grudges. We all know the saying, love thy neighbor. But we want to know, is there something wrong with us if we'd rather not? What if our neighbor won't stop parking in our spot? What if their dog keeps pooping on our lawns? Is it human nature to hate? And with our country as polarized as it's been lately, is there a way to unravel the rage that's built up? The myths we'll be dispelling all revolve around the seriousness and the consequences of harboring grudges. Because if you watch Quentin Tarantino or Clint Eastwood movies, grudges might look pretty awesome. Myth 1. 
Revenge is a dish best served cold, but who's eating? Is it healthy for us to hold grudges? Is there actual tangible consequences to hanging on to a grudge? Myth two, tribalism and hatred are natural human states. Or as Stephen King wrote in The Mist, as a species, we are fundamentally insane. Put more than two of us in a room, we pick sides and start dreaming up reasons to kill one another. Myth three, we can forgive, but we can't forget. We'll explore why we dwell on grudges long after they've said the words, I forgive you, and we'll give you the practical steps to how to let go of grudges. But first, we're going to take a look at the state of dueling in France in the 1800s and why a pair of Paris fops would want to take their duel to the sky. By the 1800s, when it came to dueling, civilized gentlemen all over the world had adopted something called the Irish Code Duello. This was a very strict set of rules that dictated the rules and the sequence of old-fashioned pistol duels. Do you remember watching cartoons where Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam would march from each other, 10 paces, turn, and then fire? That was taken from the Irish Code Duello. And gentlemen kept a copy of the Code Duello in their pistol cases. It's like a user's manual. So, like, if you get a, a car, they used to come with, like, a Chilton's owner's manual where, like, it would tell you how to put your car back together. That, if you, that for it to count, you had to do it this way. Right. Yeah. So, so ridiculous to, by our today's standard to hold and, a grudge and shoot somebody, and this is how you're going to do it. Right. The instructions to, to kill a man, basically. What if you broke one of the rules, but they were already dead? <laughs> your honor's gone too or something it must be it's an honor thing right but absolutely yeah from from what i could tell is is you would be dishonored like it's it's like in sportsmanship where if um somebody does like a punches you while you're down or something everyone sees it so but the, but you're already gone the stakes are a little bit higher right ah but <laughs> your second and your partner's second or your, your counterpart's second are there to witness it okay And when I tell you the code was strict, I mean, it laid out where you were allowed to forgive each other, when you were supposed to beg for your aggressor's pardon, and when your second was allowed to jump into the fight. We'll explain more about seconds a bit later. So like you were saying, if you're shot on the ground, and or it dishonorably, it counts. And the forgiveness part, like like, like the the code Duella, if you wanted to say sorry, or if I wanted to say not get shot, and we hadn't reached... Yeah, we hadn't reached an honorable moment to do that according to the code. We just couldn't. We we had to keep going. So when you're past a certain threshold. That's it, yeah. yeah you're going to die or you're a coward. And in those days, that was worse, right? Right. And, and there were a lot of ways out. Like, there were a lot of moments where they could forgive each other. But you had to hit those moments. I would be doing it in the early stages. <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, I would not want to duel with, with JoJo as an expert art. At bow and arrow, arches. What do you call Google it? is going to be with bows. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure you'd be shooting better at shooting any weapons than I would. Right. Well, like um, uh, Burr and Hamilton, when they went to shoot each other, one of the arguments they made is that um, uh, one of them shot above their opponent, like into the trees. That was an honorable way to end a duel because you discharge the weapon, uh, meaning you shot, but the other person was unharmed. So once you let out the bullets, that was an honorable moment to stop. So that was one of the arguments made in history. A little too close for comfort for me. <laughs> right. Now remember, all of this was over De Grand Prix's girlfriend. 
Mademoiselle Tirevet. Tirevet was a renowned dancer in 1808. As such, she would have been remarkably skilled, and we could probably assume very beautiful. Yeah, I, I, in here in Portland, we um, have body positive burlesque. They, they probably did not have that in the 1800s Paris. <laughs> they, they certainly had different beauty standards, so maybe they didn't need it. But for her time's convention, uh, probably considered very beautiful. And the fact that two guys would go to this kind of trouble a month later means she's probably pretty hot. Right, yeah. I think it says later that she was going to bestow a smile on, on the men. So you don't do that unless there's, there's something in the game. I'm not going to kill myself over a, <laughs> a seven. I don't know. I've, I've seen Jerry Springer. They, they get pretty close to dueling on there. This duel wasn't fought in a fit of passion either. They didn't rush to the streets to duel that day. They waited a month while their grudge fermented. From the Book of Days, where the duel was recorded, quote, In order that the heat of angry passion should not interfere with the polished elegance of the proceedings, they postponed the duel for a month. The lady agreeing to bestow her smile on the survivor of the two. So I have trouble staying angry for anything longer than like maybe a week. Uh, 30 days is a long cooling off period. Absolutely. And then by then I'd already probably have beef with somebody else or something. (laughs) I would fight off some other angry, some other jealous guy that's trying to hit on her too. (laughs) Right. I would have three more duels lined up for parking, uh, for people cutting me off, uh, somebody standing in front of me. Yeah. Doesn't school teach you to to, to count to 10? Like, isn't 10 seconds usually (laughs) enough? But to, to hold on to it for that long and then, you know. Um, in my younger life, when I used to do boxing, I, I know how nervous I got before a fight. And that's not life or death. Oh, right. So I can't imagine you wouldn't sleep. You're stressed out. 30 days. Yeah, I and mean, it gives you time yeah. to say goodbye to everybody, I guess. That's true. Get your affairs in order because you might, yeah, during a duel. But to stay angry that that long is something else. Right. That's a grudge. And, and we're going to talk about what that does to you, that 30 days of grudging, like what it physically would do. And I've hold grudges over things for years. Yeah. So I know how negative that is. <laughs> Imagine letting your anger cool for a month and still wanting to jump into a balloon to shoot at your grudge. What does that kind of hate do to you physically? There's an old Christian saying, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So now we ask the question, how toxic is hatred exactly? Okay, so Todd, I have a question for you. Have you actually had like a grudge? Like have you ever had it out for someone? I have. A long running one. A long running one. So was it was it weeks or, or a Years. Month? Years, it, it okay. Would, it, would, it would intensify and then lighten up and then we get back at it. <laughs> so there's like reminders it's like, like a it would nemesis. Come back. This one guy, I'm not gonna say his name. I'll, I'll say it for you. His <laughs> name was Ted. No, I don't. I don't know who this person was. <laughs> Whoever Ted is, I think is, we're I'm cool now. But yeah. you know, he can come back. Well, I I went into this wanting to find out. Um, by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna let people have a peek behind the curtains. Uh, we had the story for this episode before we had the science. Uh, some episodes go the opposite way. Like alcoholism, we, we found that great, great article, and then we went back and built the, the – we found a story to match it. For this one, we had the balloon story, and then we, we found the science. Um, but 
holy heck, the grudges, like the, the science behind that is really impressive. I got to ask you, have you had a grudge uh, over, over a thing or a person for... Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, red hot. It, it, it's, it's really, really obsessive, and it's over the smallest stuff. I, I might have even told you about this. I, I had somebody honk at me, and I remembered it for weeks. <laughs> like, I was crossing the street. It was There's no one around. It's I go running at, like, you know midnight or, or later, and, and somebody honked at me. And I, 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 I remember their sedan. Like, I've got a grudge over nothing, basically. I can totally, and I can relate to that. Um, being in sales my whole adult life, you can have a thousand people that are kind to you and friendly to you. But one person gives you attitude or talks back, you remember that person the rest of your career. And you don't remember all those people that were nice to you. It doesn't seem fair. Right. Yeah. Pe- people from the school. Yeah, no, I've, I've got lots of grudges. Um, I don't know if they know that I have a grudge. They, they probably are just like, no, that's Joe. Like, they probably don't even think of it. Now, so, just so people know, Joe's been telling this story about this balloon dueling to everyone that will listen for the better part of a decade. I've been friends with Joe for a while. <laughs> he somehow works this story. So he thinks the story is, and it's a, it is an interesting story. Into every conversation. <laughs> so. there, are, there are plenty of articles about this balloon duel, but um, not all of them have um, the pieces together. Like the, most of them will have a section from one of the newspaper clippings or they'll have a section from one of the history books. Um, but we have, we have a, pretty much the most complete picture we could have. Um, so, so does it hurt uh, these people? Did it ha- did it hurt um, uh, the the duelists? Does it hurt us to keep a grudge going? And that's that's kind of what we want to get to today. And uh, this is going to go under uh, what we sometimes call the no duh category of science, uh, where we have so many phrases and sentences for why duels are bad for you or grudges are bad for you. Uh, so uh, I'm sorry to say it, no duh, it's bad for you. It's a matter of how bad is it for you, right? Right. And that's the part we want to really nail down. So in the short term, we're going to break this into short term and long term. So short term grudge is somebody flips you off or somebody cuts you off in traffic or somebody honks at you while you're out jogging. And then suddenly you have a a short term grudge. How bad is that? Um, It produces cortisol. We talked about cortisol in our uh, FDR, Franklin D. Roosevelt. The stress hormone. I'm well familiar with this one. I'm well read on that one. Right. We, we've, we've had our dance with the stress hormone. Um, so it's, it's the hormone that kicks into your system when it's time to fight a bear or run away from a cheetah. Uh, it also produces adrenaline. And here's the part that surprised me. It diminishes oxytocin. Well, what's that? So oxytocin is the love hormone. So um, when you're eating a large amount of chocolate, supposedly, or, or when you're um, uh, with your significant other, like when you, when you hug somebody, mm-hmm. it produces oxytocin. Um, oxytocin isn't strictly about um, uh, sex. It, it, is, it is more about love. So it is like, like holding someone, affection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's the some, – some people call it the love hormone. Um, now, having a grudge or having cortisol and adrenaline get produced through a grudge diminishes your ability to make this. So it, it or not make it to, to have it circulate. So it, it temporarily diminishes oxytocin, which is very interesting to me. Which would be damning over a long period of time for long grudges, and right? Absolutely. And, and, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what long-term grudges do to you. Um, so really what this does is it, it's what we're saying is it activates your fight or flight. 
Um, the sympathetic nervous system uh, uh, spikes cortisol uh, whenever you think of this grudge. So if you run across the street and somebody's just flipped you off or cut you off or something uh, and you think back on it, it you, you react as if it's happening again, basically. So you visualize the grudge. It, it means that your cortisol spikes again and your oxytocin is diminished again. So it's like the thing about you're reliving this. You're actually in your body reliving this not just thinking it right but you're having this the effects of your side effects yes yeah the the effects are um reoccurring when you think of it and it changes as you think of it so that's where we're getting into so we're, we're now getting into the long-term effects of a grudge so when you recall the effects of a grudge and this comes from uh, uh partly this is coming from a freakonomics uh, uh article called messing with memory so when you recall the events uh, that created the grudge, or if you talk about an event, um, especially if you're having somebody tell you a story, so if your your mother or your brother are telling you a story about somebody who was awful to them, like you you wouldn't believe what you know your aunt Karen told you know told me about you. So when you relive it, it refreshes the negative events, and it becomes uh, a story that you're basically living, and, and you can spread that to somebody else. So if you live through a grudge-worthy event, you can spread that to a family member or a friend. Uh, That's it, not good. That's not the kind of thing we want to be spreading around. Right, exactly. That, that, that means you can literally, like, by telling a really good story, not, not as in the, the story of a grudge is good, but if you tell it well, right. you can make somebody live feel, that feel moment that of hate. the same way that you did when you felt it. Yes, and you imbue it into them. And as time goes on, hitting that memory is like hitting a button. Uh, that button becomes sort of a recall button to bring those chemicals back into your bloodstream. So if you have a grudge and you think back on what your Aunt Karen said about your fat thighs, um, it, it hits the button and it puts cortisol back into your bloodstream. So it, it's just sort of like like the, the, the joke easy button that they have in offices. That except with a grudge and, and stress hormones. And we want our cortisol low as mo- for as long as we can because there's enough time in life where we need it to be high, not to over over gossiping or family drama. Right. I, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, cortisol uh, has negative effects on the body. Uh, we've learned from the prior podcast that um, high cortisol uh, leads to a whole host of health issues. Uh, it, it, it's bad for your blood pressure. Uh, it's bad for your heart. It's just generally you want to keep your cortisol low throughout your lifetime. And uh, low cortisol is what high-level uh, leaders have. Um, so they've done uh, – that was a Forbes article we referenced back in our FDR episode. So there's another study I want to talk about, about long-term grudges. Uh, this comes from uh, Glasgow Caledonia University and Edinburgh Napier Valley or Napier University in Scotland. Uh, they talk about how recalling a grudge can actually heighten physical pain, even if that pain is unrelated to the grudge. So we're not talking about like you're you're in physical pain because somebody put a spear into you because they had a grudge against you. We're talking like you have chronic back pain, or if you have like arthritis, or or you just you you tweaked your hip last week. Recalling a grudge, thinking on a grudge, will make other pains in your body come out. Wow. 
wow. <laughs> so uh, to all of you listeners who we, we told you, please visualize your grudge while you're in your car. I'm sorry because we actually, like whatever pains and ailments you had in your life, those probably came up while you were doing that visualization. And can't you see that with the old grumpy person? Yes. <laughs> can't you see that? Like that 70 or 80 year old Todd just, and Joe. Yeah, it's as much emotional as it is. <laughs> <laughs> right, as many pains as your body eventually accumulates. That's why. That's why so many old people don't hold grudges anymore. It's because it, they physically can't handle it anymore. <laughs> Too many <They're> pains <laughs> come up. <laughs> they get mad at one more person. They're gone. Right. <laughs> their, their whole body is just screaming at that point. It's interesting, though. So, um, and the uh, another point I want to make about long-term grudges, and this comes from a, a fantastic article from Gizmodo called Why Your Brain Can't Let Go of a Grudge. I recommend this almost as our primary source. It's a really good article. Um, but what they, what they talk about in there uh, is that ultimately in a grudge, we get caught in a cycle of wanting the other side to recognize that they're wrong. And that's the reward we're looking for in a grudge. And that's the reward you're basically not going to get. Uh, almost any circumstance of a grudge, you're not going to have that reward. But that's what we want. That's what we go after, and that's what we tune into the nightly news for. We want the other side to to admit they're wrong. And then we think it through. So we're preparing for this big blowout speech we're going to give them, this big debate. And then we're going to dominate them with the facts that we've – because we've been thinking about this shit for two years. Right. And they're going to cower, and they're going to kiss our ring. Yes. And then we're going to be fine. <laughs> it's never, we'll ever, ever played out that way for me. Right. Like, we'll craft the that perfect feel like? argument. Yeah. I'm going to say this and that, and they're done. There's right. nothing yeah. they can say to that. And then they have to admit it. And, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, when you bring up those arguments to anybody, they just entrench. Like It's never satisfying, but that's what we imagine, and that's, that's, what, that's a reward we want. Yeah, and they have their own take on what actually happened, too. Right, of and course. somewhere between ours and theirs is what really happened, but right. So those those are the long term effects of grudges, uh, and of course, the real loser is you know the person who has that hormone cortisol and adrenaline going through their body. So when when we talked about that quote that it's it's like taking poison hoping the other person dies, it, it really actually quite literally is a, a, a form of self poisoning. Well, in France, the old days, like today. You didn't just have hot air balloons parked next to your horse. They weren't common like they aren't today, right? Right. Um, During the month-long wait for their duel, the two men had to construct their balloons, which were made exactly alike, so neither one would have an advantage of being able to climb faster, somehow enhance, and get the upper hand. Untethered, man balloons were fairly new. They were invented only in 1783, 25 years before the duel. (laughs) So... So to put this into perspective, uh, the the Segway, the the two-wheeled, handled cart, was only invented like 20 years ago. So imagine taking like a a Segway or a hoverboard for a duel. Yeah, something that's new, new invention. Probably just just taking it to flight is more dangerous than the duel itself, right? Right, it's almost like a joke at this point. Like it's, it's not considered a mode of transportation so much as a novelty. So in the future, we're gonna we're gonna see people doing duels in uh, self-driving cars. That's the next one. So. <laughs> Their weapon of choice was the blunderbuss, an early version of the shotgun, which fired clusters of lead or steel pellets. These would be fired at eighty yards apart or two hundred forty feet. Now, 
I had trouble imagining this for a second because I'm I'm bad at distances. So I, I, I looked up about how much eighty yards is, and that's approximately that that's just slightly, slightly wider than the wings of a Boeing seven forty seven. Football field almost. Oh yeah. Um is is a football field how, how hundred yards. Hundred yards, yards is a football okay. field, so almost there. So it's a twenty percent shorter than a football uh, field. So if you if you imagine a a Boeing or, or um, twenty yard line on a football field, just aim at a very large balloon at the other end of that. <laughs> so so just stand on the the tips of a seven forty seven's wing, and just aim at a huge balloon above the other wing. It just so seems also silly, right? It's just yeah, <laughs> all of this is ridiculous. That's, like that's some the, kind the of cartoon, kind of like, yeah. yeah. I can see them all dressed up too with that kind of Napoleon gear. Oh, they must have had you poofy know, shirts on, like those glasses, <laughs> like <Yeah>. Prince Warriors. <laughs> Originally, the men had considered using pistols, but they decided that dueling pistols, which fired ball shot, wouldn't do much other than cause a slow leak. These men were going for dramatic pop, so they wanted to just blow each other out of the sky. Right? They did. They didn't want the. Like (laughs) They were going for collapse, basically. The balloon was a target of choice. The men were to aim at each other's balloons, not at each other, at a half a mile. According to Wikipedia, a spread eagle skydiver will reach terminal velocity from 1,500 feet up. Le Piquet and De Grand Prix would start shooting at each other 1,000 feet higher than that. So uh, when they refer to skydivers going spread eagle, that's when they, they spread their body out and they try to absorb the wind. Uh, this was not that. These Frenchmen did not know how to skydive. So uh, he probably would have reached terminal velocity, almost certainly, because they were 1,000 feet higher than when terminal velocity kicks in. What does terminal velocity look like? Terminal velocity, from what I understand, is the maximum velocity you can reach while uh, moving through the atmosphere. So you're so you, it's like hitting the sound barrier or something, or your body starts, your brain starts to. I mean, I don't. I don't <laughs> it's uh, so to imagine this uh, when you see pictures of people skydiving, yeah, and they're like like lips are flapping, yeah. and there's their their clothes are sagging behind them, and and they're they're just screaming through the air. That's 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 how fast these guys were going when they when they actually fell. Oh boy! <laughs> oh, remember how I talked about the role of a second in a duel? If your wedding was a duel, your second would be your best man. Your second was both your hype man and your mediator. He would keep your spirits up, load your pistols, and negotiate on your behalf when it was time to bow out or spill blood. And if there was a cheating or added insult, your second would actually have to fight for you. Why is it so important for you to understand what a second does in a duel? Well, these duels are required by honor to have their seconds in the balloon baskets with them, which guaranteed that whoever lost a duel would not die alone. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, Todd, as my friend, uh, I have a duel coming up in a submarine, something that's not coming back. I, I need you to hand me my pistol and stand with me while we're doing this. Be your t- and do the, do the negotiating for you. Right, the mediating. And drown together. The hyping. And when, when we lose, because we will lose, you're going to be there and you'll, you'll be in the, the pop. Absolutely. You, they don't make friends like that anymore. No, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> 
I can't get friends to call me back. Right. Or give me a good review on this show, but... <laughs> right. My, my, my friends won't send me links to things I've asked for. <laughs> they just want to talk about their... Yeah, they won't watch a Netflix show that I've recommended. I can't imagine one of them getting into an air balloon with me and handing me a rifle. As your second Joe, I want to tell you that she's just not worth it. <laughs> Other women will come along. Let him have her. But she dances in the Paris Opera, Todd. <laughs> That's some red-eye, fish-shaking, ulcer-popping hatred. Imagine being so mad you're willing to fall out of the sky in a wicker basket if they hit you. Now imagine dragging your best friend along, too. (laughs) Is this kind of deep-seated anger a natural state for humans? Are we built for grudges? Or was there something wrong with these men's brains? So, Todd, if you had to guess, without looking at the, uh, the the data sheet, do you think grudges are natural? No. No. Why are do you they? think that? Well, I think that's something that we just we 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 kind of obsess on other people's behaviors, and and um, it's all just based on our relationships, our negative relationships with our, with other people, our loved ones, and people who do us wrong. Right. When I think of if grudges are natural. I kind of imagine like almost that, 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 what is it, the Christian painting of like lions laying down with lambs and, and everybody sort of like peacefully being in yeah. like fields together. You're supposed to be bigger, better than that. You know, yeah. you're not supposed to let little stuff bother you, even big stuff. You got to forgive. Right. Well, well, forgiveness is, is pretty natural, but uh, apparently grudges are, are very natural. Uh, to, to my surprise, I, I thought I was the weird one because I would hold grudges against people who honk at me. Um, or, or anyone that insults me. Uh, apparently, grudges are extremely natural. Uh, most animals have them, uh, to my surprise. Uh, did you know ravens and crows can hold grudges? <laughs> no, I did not know that. <laughs> there, there are studies out there about uh, ravens and crows that can hold grudges for several days. Uh, uh, some of them, they did a, a mask study where somebody would wear a mask and shake trees with crows, and they'd remember the mask and come after them days later. Uh, chimps can hold grudges long term. They can hold it for months. And chimps, um, there's a very heartbreaking studies about chimps going to war with each other. They don't go to war very often, but when they do, it, they they're brutal. I imagine, it's crazy. Right? Biting and ripping off limbs. Yeah, chimps don't punch. Uh, I found out. Uh, I'm not going to get too detailed on this. We'll save that for another episode. But, yeah, chimps' ways of, of hurting each other, they don't punch and swing their arms. They they grab and they, they pull. And it's, it's ugly. Yeah, yeah, ripping. A lot of ripping. So grudges aren't just natural, but they're kind of how we identify uh, relationships to other humans. Um, so this comes from a Scientific American article. Um, and they talk about how uh, danger, fear, and anger are all very clear when you put somebody in an MRI. So I don't have we ever talked about functional MRIs here on the show? We haven't. A functional MRI is a brain scan um, where they they look at how much blood flow is going to certain parts of the brains, and it, it's it's kind of held up as the the big standard for scanning people's heads while they are being asked questions, uh, test questions. Um, and in, in this particular test in the Scientific American uh, called The Origin of Hatred, um, they, they talk about how when they had listeners uh, talk about their grudge, uh, it, it lit up parts of the brain called the uh, putamen and the insula. 
And these are the areas that are also found for romantic love. And that, that surprised me, that the, the areas of the brain for a grudge. For love and grudges is the same part. Exactly. Uh, so and a, we do resent our loved ones after about six months of it, <laughs> right? One too many, like, like <laughs> crunchy things eaten in bed. Or, Get on your nerves. Yeah, yeah. and it really bothers you. You hold and, a grudge against people who are close, even people you love. Right. A girlfriend watches an episode of Mad Men that I haven't seen, and it grudges on. It switches <laughs> that fast. What does this mean? <laughs> right. So um, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to quote the article. You basically already said it from this article. Quote, this linkage may account for why love and hate are so closely related or linked to each other in life. It's a thin line, right? It's a thin line, yeah. And it uses the same parts of the brain. So that's how natural it is. So when you're feeling those grudges, um, animosities towards your significant other, that's natural too. Yeah, that, that switch, since it uses the same parts of the brain, that's also a natural hatred. So it, it's natural to have moments of hatred toward people you otherwise would love. Um, so have you ever heard of something called Dunbar's number? I have not. What, what is it? We're not going to get too far into this either because this could get us in the weeds. Uh, but just real short, Dunbar's number uh, is a study uh, where they, they figured out how many people uh, you could hold in your mind. So personalities, like, like um, I'm, not, I'm not talking like vaguely you know the names of everybody who is in school with you. It's, it's how many people at any one given moment in your life can occupy a real person's profile in your brain. Like, you, like your family or your best friend, but you can't be you know, a couple people at work, but not everybody. Right. And that number uh, comes out to be about 150. Okay. Uh, just study after study, uh, to the point where um, if you read uh, Matt Ridley, he talks about how um, this this carries over into real life application too. Like offices usually don't go over 150 personnel before they split, and Amish communities usually split at about 150. So it's it's pretty well established. It's it's kind of natural. Um, so I wanted to establish Dunbar's number with you. Uh, because since fear hatred is more tribal, so like like the not the grudge, the the general fear hate that that we associate with other political parties, say that's more tribal. That's easy. Um, say they're for, a threat to us. It's they're a threat. going to take away something that I have. Right. So like I have a fear hatred towards spiders. That's not a grudge. It's just right. naturally I crush them if I come across them. That does not occupy the same space in the brain as a grudge does. A grudge occupies a space in Dunbar's number. You have to be a person to me for me to really have a grudge with you. Wow. Um, and, of course, the, the love apparatus, too. Like so, so it's not only do you have to be a person to me, but you have to be somebody I could potentially like before I can start really grudging on you. That's really deep. It, it is. It's, it's, it's crazy how close those two are linked. Um, so, so people can be prone to grudges. It's fairly natural and you can only really hold a grudge against somebody who is uh, absolutely a person to you in your mind. Uh, so now we're going to ask the question, can people be unnaturally prone to grudges? Can, can some people be, uh, uh, just wired for grudge? And the answer to that is also a hard yes. Um, I, I very much suspect my family falls into this. We, we hold grudges against each other to the point where, like, like we can't have too many uh, Anthonys in one city. 
We 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 will. Well, you pick mentioned sides. that they, that there's some criticizing that goes on. Right. It, it it very much is tied to that. I I when I shared that it was tongue in cheek, but honestly, it I think it really is connected to that. That we're we're usually critical. And then my family sort of like we'll we'll split from like a large family to a small family. So is and that then, Todd or is that D is that is that Todd or is it DNA stuff? Is it that That is a really good question. I personally think it's more behavioral. We we've talked before about um, the, the golden ratio of five, five to, to one. one. <laughs> yeah, five to one. It's five positives for one negative. We reverse that. My family it's it's you're scoring points when you're being critical. So we do five to one in the, the opposite <laughs> so way you should. Emerged. <laughs> right. Well, there's there's a, a famous family uh, in the U.S. that had a grudge, the Hatfields and the McCoys. Oh, yeah. If, if you've taken school in this country, you've, you've heard about the Hatfields and the McCoys. Well, uh, it turns out the McCoys may have been predisposed to grudge. Uh, uh, because they they had uh, they they they've studied the descendants of the McCoys, and they found out that they have something called the von Hippel Lindau disease, which means that they had tumors that would um, show up in their eyes, ears, pancreas, kidneys, brains, and spines, uh, and they were small bubble-like tumors. Uh, but but the the most important area that would show up in is the adrenal gland. We mentioned earlier that uh, when you have a grudge, uh, it dumps adrenaline and cortisol into your system. So the uh, they weren't just combative with the Hatfields. The McCoys apparently would fight their own kin, too. And some of them were so well known for doing this, the family would scatter when they came around. <laughs> so like Grampy McCoy, you did not mess with him. You, you literally got out of the way when he shows up and just see what mood he's in before you even talk to him. Um, on a on a very uh, lighter scale to this, so like not quite that bad, where you have a, a, a your adrenal gland has tumors on it, but uh, there is something called intermittent explosive disorder, and this is from the National Health Institute, um, and they said it could affect as high as seven percent of adults in the U.S. Um, and the the diagnosis is pretty loose for it. It just means that you have a short fuse and and that you blow up on people. Um, and this this seems a fairly new thing to come up with. Seven percent of of the population. Seven percent of the population might have this. That sounds uh, about right. Yeah. Of the hotheads we know. Right. Yeah. Seven percent of the population is is generally hot headed and has a short fuse, and um, it's not not a killer thing. Uh, the road rager, the guy at work who's always right. flips out over everything. Because those people stand out in my mind, I would have guessed that number to be higher. I would have guessed like twenty percent of people have that, but. Uh, so yeah, they, they are they are working on or have a diagnosis for being a hothead, basically. Um, so so not only is grudging natural, it's it's natural for us to have that sort of anger in us. Now, natural does not mean healthy, but but that was the the question we were answering here. The spot chosen for the balloon launch was the Tuileries Garden, a sixty-three acre park next to the Louvre Museum in Paris. Once the men and their seconds were secure inside the balloon baskets. Assistants cut the ropes, and the balloons ascended over the city. Spectators and visitors who were out for a stroll in the park would have watched the balloons go up, cheering. Hot air balloons had been launched from this park in the past. They would have watched, thinking, we are witnessing a balloon race or a public spectacle. So for us in America, that's like if we were watching a Thanksgiving Day parade... 
And then, like, somebody is riding the back of the Garfield balloon with a shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) Did they know that when they went to it? Did they know that this was a duel, or did they just think it was hot air balloons? Nobody knew it was a duel. (laughs) The the guys with the guns knew it was a duel. Everybody else was just cheering because there's balloons. (laughs) Imagine the surprise on the ground when the men reached half mile up and their seconds handed them their blunderbusses. Missouri Le Piquet shot first, but he missed. He missed a hot air balloon from 80 yards with a shotgun. That was probably the moment when the crowd realized they weren't watching a balloon race. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if this duel had been on the ground and both shots had missed, the men would have had their chance to reconsider. Maybe, as was common in piston duels, their anger would have cooled once their honor was satisfied. Which brings us to our final myth, that we can forgive but not forget a grudge. So, Todd, here's my question to you. Are you ready to forgive me? <laughs> oh, no, what did you do there? <laughs> what did well, you I, do? I mean in the, in the potential future when, uh, when I do something that's worthy of a grudge. I think so. Well, how do I, how do, I do that? Well, okay. How? Well, I, I've, I've pulled these from something called the Stanford Forgiveness Project. And the director there is uh, Fred Luskin, and he, he posted these online. I, I'm not going to read all of them either. I'm going to read like the, the most helpful ones because I, I want everyone to, to look this up uh, because they're, they're really, really helpful. Like I, I, I didn't think they would actually be helpful. I thought they would be uh, like the, the school advice, like count to 10 and walk away. Um, but these are, these are actually very germane to the research we've covered today. So the, the first one I want to share is actually number two on his list. It's make a commitment to yourself to feel better. Uh, and, and that forgiveness is for you and no one else. I think about that one as when you see people who they've had a, a loved one who's been murdered by somebody. And that's what they always say. I forgave that person on death row or that person in life for prison for myself, not for right. them. Because otherwise it would have killed me. Yeah, when we did our, our episode on prison lovers uh, and you mentioned somebody being forgiven. Oh, oh, that came up in our Bremer episode, too. The, the, the governor had forgiven Bremer. That always boggled my mind. And now we're reading this. It just just great coincidence. Um, so, yeah, forgiveness is really for yourself. And it's so you're not hitting that cortisol and adrenaline button. It's so you're not doing that to yourself. Uh, the number three on the list was uh, forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciling with the person. So that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, it does not necessarily mean you forgive or that you're like going to them and, and reconciling. It just you're means get, you're doing it for you're yourself. You're getting back together or going to live together again doesn't mean that. Right. It doesn't have to mean that. Right. And you also, um, you, you don't have to lay blame or have them accept blame either. It just means that you're taking those offenses less personally to yourself. Uh, another one is uh, number five. At the moment you feel upset, practice stress management, soothe your body, uh, try to get out of that flight or fight response. And if it sounds like these are almost repetitive in theme, that a lot of them are about stress management, it's because a lot of this is about stress management. It's, it's getting you to a better state of health. And a lot of your mental health, good mental health is based on your stress management. Right. Because life is stressful. Because life's full of people, and people are stressful. Since we started this podcast, this has taught me that stress and, and management of stress basically is everything. Like, the, the, the biggest key to success 
is keeping depression, anxiety, and stress down and, and basically having command of your faculties day to day. And what I learned from this episode, too, is that you have 150 working relationships. There's 150 chances at grudges. Yeah. Everybody in your Dunbar's number is a potential grudge that you could build. Or, well, a potential grudge I could build. I don't know about you. <laughs> I won't speak for everybody. Uh, number six, uh, give up on expecting things from your life or from other people. Uh, that they do not choose to give you. Um, there's a little bit more here. It's it's remember yourself that you can hope for health, love, friendship, and prosperity, and work hard to get them. However, these are unenforceable rules. You will suffer when you demand that these things occur, since you do not have the power to make them happen. So the first half of that is the most important to me, is, is expecting things from other people uh, that you can't give to yourself. They're not capable of it, and that's right. not their job. And you're gonna, you're barking up the wrong tree. It's never gonna happen, right? And in this context, we're more specifically talking about forgiveness. That you're not capable of demanding forgiveness and having it happen, and you're also not capable of demanding somebody make amends or see your side of things. You're not capable of demanding that somebody from the other political side sees reason. What you can do is is basically practice good health yourself and, and forgive people. Uh, and then the last one we're going to share, again, so that you go look up the rest of these, is number nine. Amend the way you look at your past so you remind yourself of your heroic choice to forgive. And that that is such a weird word choice. When I first read this, your heroic choice to forgive, it sounds self-aggrandizing. <laughs> it does. But, ego, ego. Yeah. Right uh, but I kept it in as written, one, because we want to give credit to the author, um, Luskin, but also because it really is kind of heroic. Like, like we, we talked about extreme forgiveness, like the governor who forgave his potential assassin. Uh, but just in day to day, like if you can forgive somebody uh, and get over them taking your parking spot or their dog pooping on your lawn. Whatever the circumstances are, if you can forgive it, it's heroic just because it all adds up. Yeah, you, and you'll get better at it the more you do it. Right. You do hold these, you hold these little ones longer because you're thinking they're not damning. Right. And the heroes in my life, they're they're, they're low stress people. They're they're all people who are enjoyable to be around. The heroes in my life are people who are day to day just good people to be kind. around. Kind people, yeah. patient people. And so they're already doing this. Like, I have no doubt in my mind that the heroes in my life are already stress managing and they're already forgiving. Yeah, there's nothing respectable about being a hot-headed, you know, holding a grudge, right? That's not someone we want to be like. Right. In unless you're John McClane from Die Hard. That's the only one I'll accept. <laughs> if you're not John McClane, then you need to practice forgiveness. So LaPiquet missed his shot. But as it turned out, Mademoiselle... Terravet boyfriend wasn't quite as bad with the blunderbuss. Day Grand Prix aimed at Le Piquet's balloon, fired and blew a hole through that balloon. This wasn't a little leak either. The balloon fell what witnesses said was, quote, frightful rapidity. Now remember, this duel was above the city of Paris, and while they launched from the Tuileries Garden, the balloons drifted over the buildings before the men took their shots. La Piquet and his second fell, probably reaching terminal velocity, before they struck the sloped rooftops of Paris. They hit so hard they were, quote, dashed to pieces. 
feeling pretty good about his shot. De Grand Prix <laughs> couldn't help but take a victory lap. He ascended higher into the air instead of landing, and he finally touched down seven leagues outside of Paris. We assume fist pumping the air the whole way. <laughs> That's crazy. Whether Mademoiselle Tiravet took De Grand Prix back has been left to our imagination. So how do we avoid a fate like poor Le Piquet, dashed to pieces on a Paris rooftops? First, it's good to keep in mind that grudges are natural, and they make us and other mammals feel less vulnerable. If we plan to take out our revenge, it means we're not easy prey. But all that revenge planning can lead us to habitual ruminations, visualizing over and over our revenge and how we were wronged, and increasing cortisol and literal physical pain that comes with those visualizations that can take a lasting toll on our body and mind. Imagining the other side having to come to Jesus moment might be intoxicating and fun, but those ruminations and the imaginary arguments we engage in can trap us in a cycle of hate and dopamine rewards. Especially when we think of our grudge getting their comeuppance. This, in a nutshell, is how the evening news gets, gets paid to divide us as a nation. Lastly, letting go of grudge is entirely for your benefit. And there are real, actionable steps you can take to leave the grudge behind. Make a commitment to yourself to forgive. Practice stress management. Visualize yourself as a hero for taking the path of forgiveness. And never, ever let a grudge get so out of hand that shooting at each other from a half a mile up sounds like an acceptable plan. Thank you for listening to The Reengineer You. If you like the show, tell someone about it. That means the world to us. You can also connect with us at thereengineeru.com. That's www.re-engineeredu.com, where we have research links, show notes, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We also appreciate feedback, and we love spirited debates. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.